Read the scripture for today and then pray for us. Uh, the word is out of um, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when, you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my, on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, coming before you in prayer is a wonderful privilege we have, and, and we don't want to use it lightly. Thank you for, for your accessibility and that you, you desire us to talk with you. Please help us to only ever come to you in humility and never in the mindset that we are owed something or that we deserve something because we all have fallen short of your standard. But we have hope and we can be confident because you have called us by name and did what you did on the cross so that we can have confidence and security in our hope. We are only here and able to do what we do because of you. Thank you, Father. And help us not to forget that being called to you, by you, is a holy place to be and the perfect place to be. Don't let us become proud and forget what you have done for us. And as we gather here this morning, and even when we're alone, cause your word that is spoken to us to, be strength, to strengthen us and embolden us and encourage us. And help us to remember and use that word. Help us to use it when we, when we need to stand for what is right. And help us to use, use it as an armor when we need to guard against temptations that come against us. And help us to see past ourselves and look to others that are in need. Because this body has needs. Lord, we pray for Warren this morning. Um, I, I understand he wasn't feeling too well, so he's had to stay home. Uh, Lord, we pray for, for Michelle Ross and her continued healing with, with um, the, the hip surgery she had to have again. Lord, we pray for Bethany Salzman. Lord, her continued healing with, with, her, um, with her leg, Father. Lord, we have those that are hurting and struggling with, with just life. We need your grace and your mercy. I pray now for those that are in a slump feeling like they're just barely making it. I pray that you would pull them out of their mess and replace whatever it is that is causing their disconnect with you and help them, help all of us. Help us to put you where you deserve because you deserve to be first and foremost. Help us to be quick to confess our sins and help us to hate sin as you hate sin. And thank you, Father, that you desire, that you desire that, that we confess sin and not allow it to have a hold on us because you are our rock and our redeemer. You deserve our worship and our praise and you will and shall receive all of the glory. 
Praise be your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning again. And um, before I get started into my message, it's been quite the morning already. I don't know if anyone else is feeling overwhelmed or stressed or distracted, but uh, that has definitely been a part of my morning. And uh, I feel it in this church. So God, I'm going to pray first. Lord, we pray for your help. We pray for your assistance this morning, God. We pray that you would clear our minds. We pray for your protection. We pray that your spirit would protect us from attacks from the evil one who wishes to destruct, destroy, interrupt, confuse, distract us. Lord, I pray that you would just work in our hearts and focus us. Keep his attacks away. Lord, I ask your blessing on this message that I'm going to bring. Lord, I know they're your words. I pray that they would go out and that you would be honored by them. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> A little off key, off uh, script already this morning, so got to find the right bifocals at work here. We're going to go like this. Well, this morning's sermon message title, Call to Worship, Part or Keys to Christianity, Part 2, should be a little bit of a hint here that uh, there was a Part 1. That was back in June of this year. And in that message, I preached on the first four of the Beatitudes. Today, we're going to try to cover the last five, four. The, the last two sort of blend together. But um, I think a little recap and a portion of our message this morning will be on the first four Beatitudes, as I did before. Uh, in these opening verses, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, there are statements about the character and the condition of a Christian. And specifically, we're going to talk a lot about a Christian's heart this morning, because from a Christian's heart is where their life begins, ends, revolves. It all is about the heart. And they, these Beatitudes should give us hope and peace as we understand what type of new creation that we are. Yes, I did say new creation. Do we as Christians ever dwell on the fact that we are newly created? We are reborn as something new when we accepted Christ as our Savior. Let's spend some time before we get to those verses and consider our differentness. We are not now as we were born. We came into this world with fleshly desires, a sin nature, and the desire to please ourselves. No one needs to teach a two-year-old to say, mine. That is uh, pretty natural. And unfortunately, selfishness and a desire to please ourselves is going to be part of us to some extent until the time we are made perfect when we leave this world. But as a Christian... A person who has given their life to Christ, who has asked for his indwelling spirit to come and give them a new heart, a new set of priorities, we need to know this and to remember that we are that person. We are not a slave to worldly desires. The desires of our heart 
will be towards our Creator and our God, who in the person of the Holy Spirit does live within us. This life is foreign to those who do not know Christ as their Savior. And as such, the promises given by Jesus in this scripture, and all of scripture actually, they do not apply to those persons who do not have Christ. In fact, without Christ, these promises don't even make sense to the worldly person. So, as we look at each of these verses, the first four, rather quickly, and then the remaining promises. Let's personally think of our lives and look over our lives as we read them and the blessings that God has promised for us. Each verse in this section of Scripture begins with, Blessed are. That's an interpretation of the Latin, which is beatitude, beatus, let me remember. But we translate that to blessed are, and that's where the title, the Beatitudes, come from. But these two words, blessed are, are the words describing the fortunate person and position of a Christian. The person who has favor or special position, a desired position to be in, a place to seek to be. The first two blessed are verses are best understood as a pair, and they can be difficult to grasp, but so that I don't preach the same sermon as I did last time, I will try to keep it brief. In examining verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit refers to the Christian who understands that they are spiritually bankrupt. Poor, they're lacking in spirit. They understand that they cannot produce any spiritual power on their own. And they understand that there are two planes of existence here in this world. There's our physical existence that we are in currently right now, sitting in these pews. And there is the spiritual plane where God resides, and we also reside as a spiritual being, and where we will reside completely after death until this new earth is remade and we are returned to our bodies. We know that while we exist here on earth, we are physical with a need for a spiritual resurrection and bringing nothing to the table, these persons, those poor in spirit, call out to God for a saving grace through Jesus. And in so doing, they receive the kingdom of heaven. That is the promise of the second half of this first verse. They also receive the indwelling Holy Spirit to bring glory to God in all that we do. Following this verse was verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There is truth that we can find comfort in our relationship with Christ when hurtful things happen to us in this life, but that is not the mourning that this verse is keyed into. Following directly after verse 3, this is a progressive blessed are verse. And the new, as the new Christian is ecstatic to be now part of the Christian family and the family of Christ, soon after they will realize that sin does still exist in their life. This leads to repentance and godly sorrow. God can and does work in this medium of mourning. He comforts, he restores, he brings peace and the strength needed to win our battles with sin. The Holy Spirit prompts us and guides us in the way we are to go. Verse 4 is a regular part of our walk with Christ. We need to mourn our sins and know that they will be comforted. Our relationship with our Savior will be deeper if we do these things. 
Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Good news in this verse. Pretty fairly plain and simple, straightforward. As long as we're not confused on meekness, we will understand it. We have our example of meekness, Jesus, born as a man, subjecting himself to the will of his Father and dying on the cross. This was Jesus' choice. His life was not taken from him. He did not. He gave it freely. The restraint of his power on the cross is the ultimate example of being meek. It takes true strength and conviction to have the ability in your own strength to change a situation for your benefit, oftentimes at the expense of others and yet not to push for your own way. The Christian puts aside their personal agenda and resists the urge to get what they want no matter what. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, and he was given the name above all others, and we were told that one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth at the mention of his name. We are heirs in the kingdom with Christ. We also do inherit the earth. And if you recall, I'd said we are going quickly through these, so... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. A simple definition of righteousness is the quality of being virtuous, honorable, morally right. In other words, living without sin. The indwelling spirit causes us to seek out righteous persons, and more and more as we mature as a Christian to desire that everyone act honestly without deceit. We long for the true relationship we have with Christ. Pure honesty and true selfless love cannot be found here among the fallen people. Yet we are driven still to find this relationship. We hunger and we thirst to find our satisfaction in Christ. The blessed hour of this verse is to those who go after Christ and that relationship. Those who listen to the Spirit's promptings, they are satisfied. By engaging Christ daily in prayer and in Scripture, this person satisfies their hunger for righteousness. They are filled and content with their relationship with Christ. And now on to verse 7, a new verse for us. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This blessing hinges on our actions, just as the others do as well. And it is simply put, be merciful, receive mercy. This attribute of a Christian is on display for the whole world to witness. Just as we do not receive the punishment our sins deserve, we are to be forgiving of others. Jesus tells a parable recorded in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, to illustrate the condition that our heart is to be in. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, 
he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison, and now tell he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The master in this parable is God. And the debt of the wicked servant works out to be $6 billion in today's money. The second man's debt amounts to about $12,000. This gives us a small perspective on how great a debt God forgave for us. The price of our sins, a cost that is too high to ever pay, and God's mercy in not only forgiving us of our sins, but as our God is just and all sins must be paid for, he allowed his son Jesus to pay the debt for us. We are expected to act mercifully to those we encounter. The parable highlights the heart of the wicked servant. His heart was not changed, and when given an opportunity, he acted selfishly, proving that he was not a new creation, but still worldly. No matter the result of his master's mercy, his heart was still set on himself. His payment is an eternity in jail to pay an unpayable debt. This verse is simple. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The motivation to be merciful does not come from our selfish hearts. It is grounded in our relationship with Christ. Each day, preaching the gospel to ourselves, reminding ourselves hourly that the mercy we have received is not of our own work or our own inherent goodness. We are sinful and it is only from God's will that we receive mercy. As we live out each moment and are presented with the choice to be merciful, our actions should come from a humble heart. The reality of our lives should prove us to be grateful people who are known for showing mercy to others. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To truly grasp this verse, we need to define pure in heart. The idea refers to being free from pollution as judged by God's standards. And that is a bigger thing to think about. This Christian has a heart made new by God, but also a heart whose desires are in line with God's will. Matthew 15, verses 18 and 19 define the heart for us. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. The heart is spoken of as the center, the core, the source from which our actions and our thoughts emanate. Our character resides there. It is also described 
as the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, and it is made new when we accept Christ. As we grow as Christians, we work on our hearts, rooting out the sinful desires and controlling our thoughts and speech, maturing into the person God desires us to be. The work on our hearts is crucial. If we are to win the battle with habitual sin, we need to deal with it at the heart level, this the center of our being. Where thoughts and actions begin is the true ground that we must fight for. The Christian that has victory within their being, within their heart, and with this maturity comes a blessing that they shall see God. Although we know that no mortal being can look upon God and live, we also see the promises given here in verse 8. The seeing that is being referred to, I believe, would best be described as the way a pure heart will look out on each day. As they see the sunrise, the glory of God and his unfathomable power is on display, and they recognize it. As mercy is shown, as blessings are given, and life happens around them, as miracles are seen and souls are redeemed for Christ, they see God working. This awareness of God's close presence and his empowering spirit can be seen by this pure-hearted person as sin is not dimming their sight. They worship freely. They look forward to one day being in the presence of God. They are not afraid or ashamed as they know the work of Jesus in their lives. It can truly be said that they see God. This heart, this heart that we have is described as deceitful in Scripture. It's described as a heart of stone before we receive Christ. It's described as fleshly. It is even described as, well, deceitful is another way to say that would be untrustworthy. But we have instructions to draw nearer to Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts. We are supposed to be working if one thing in our life on our hearts. By praying to God, we open our hearts. We allow the Spirit to come in. We listen for His voice. We listen to His promptings. We open ourselves in that way. And by worshiping, our hearts can sing. In glory, we, we just reach out to Him for His work in our lives. And He honors us with that. In prayer among other people as we pray corporately, I know there is a prayer meeting here on Wednesdays at this church. And as we pray together, we draw nearer to God and we draw nearer to each other. This morning, we worshiped together, and that drew us near each other. And all of that so that we, we could work on our hearts, so that we could know each other's heart, and so that we could honor God in how we live our lives. Really, there can't be too much said about the work we need to do on our hearts. And if anyone is struggling with sin, as we were on our retreat last week, the men's retreat, and Pastor was quite adamant in his teaching that to beat sin, we need to control our desires. And to control our desires, we need a desire greater than the sin. And that desire comes from Christ. 
It comes from our love for Christ and it comes from the way we know him and follow him. And that is from our heart. And if we have victory in our heart, we will have victory in this life. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This promise is for those that are active. The idea of peacemaking, not just living in peace with others. And as we contemplate this verse and the results of which are being called sons of God, we know that the pattern for this is Christ. What peacemaking did Christ do? Well, only about the most largest, biggest job of peacemaking that could ever happen. He reconciled us to the Father. He bridged the divide of sin. He made peace between a sinful people and a sin-hating Father. Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. His role was active, not just theory. Peacemakers are stepping up and healing divisions between people. Their pure heart, which we just talked about, enables the peacemaker's ambition and ensures that the peacemaker's ambition is true and is not of any of their self-centered efforts to maybe advance themselves. The person who strives to resolve conflict puts themselves at risk, but they do it willingly. Their model is Christ. Their actions are driven by a heart desiring fellowship in the body. Christian brothers and sisters are not to be fighting with each other. We are instructed to be humble and forgiving of each other. And when the actions of a true peacemaker are witnessed, we might even say that they are the sons of God, just as Scripture predicts. A person who is resembling Christ in what they are doing, giving themselves, not seeking to advance themselves, but to heal the division between two fellow Christians. That is peacemaking. And the last two verses in this morning's message, verse 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Both of these verses are related to the way that others treat you when you stand for Christ. The Christian responds differently than worldly people. They are to persevere and not lose faith in God or his promises. We know the truth, and as such, we do not compromise this faith. When the world attacks our beliefs and tries to tear Christ down, we stand firm. We witness before the world the truth of the gospel. The truth stated in 1 Peter 3.14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. This verse, as well as the last two verses of Matthew 10 and 12, assure us of the rewards of standing for Christ and the truth of the gospel. The promise of these last verses is the same as the first promise given to us in our message, that ours is the kingdom of heaven. The receiving of the kingdom is our motivator. It is what our new hearts long for. This is the promise of the gospel. We know this as the Father drew us to him, as we understood our position before him, and we call on him for forgiveness and to be reconciled. When we did this, we were not seeking a kingdom, 
but our loving Father has given it to us. This is how God has developed his kingdom. We came to him low and submitted our lives to him, unworthy of any blessings and unable to even be seen by him. But in return, he has promised a kingdom to us. If we came asking to rule, he would not have allowed it and would have rejected us. The way of the world is opposed to God. Our flesh is opposed. To gain everything, we need to give up control and trust God. And as he stated in these verses, we will be blessed as we do that. Now, closing out this morning's message. Let us never forget who these verses are written to. They are written to us, you and I, this morning. These are straight-up promises of God, and action equals a result. There are qualifying statements with them, and they refer to the condition of our heart. Can we receive these blessings? Absolutely. Acknowledge and confess your sin. Accept Christ as your Savior. Begin the heart work that needs to be done. These blessings are ordered in a natural way for the believer, starting with knowing your sinful self and progressing to standing firm through persecution. As we each draw closer to God and stronger in our faith, we will see these blessings in our lives. And as such, they will be evident in the body, in this church, this gathering of Christians. Let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, your holy scripture. We ask for it to stay in our minds this week. Prompt us regularly to read and study your word. We ask that the Holy Spirit would guide us in understanding your word. And I ask that this morning's time spent together in your word would grow each of us and bring us nearer to you. Amen.